Romans chapter 8, and let's read verses 15 and 16, and then verse 26. Romans chapter 8, somehow Wes got the verses on the screen. Wes is a miracle worker over there. Don't we love Wes? Let's always encourage that guy. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, and then verse 26. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Heavenly Father, we just ask You to bless this message that You'd speak to us in the inner man. We'd be quickened together that Your Word would order our steps. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. You may be seated. Uh, This month, I've just been thinking about the topic of just prayer and spiritual intimacy with God. And I think that as we discover together what prayer is, we see that prayer is a language. Prayer is a language of intimacy with God. Prayer is a language of intimacy. One of the things that I think about when I'm preparing a message, when I'm praying, when I'm thinking about people coming in here in the mornings and just praying, sometimes at home praying, thinking about Galatians 4, verse 19, that Christ would be formed in people. That's what my prayer is for everyone that comes to these meetings Sundays, that come on Wednesday nights for our discipleship class. My prayer is that Christ would be formed in you. Okay, That Christ would be formed in you. That's my prayer. Not that we would be conformed to some traditional religious activity that we would be molded into some kind of a program but that Christ would be formed in us and by the grace of God I want to speak about that this month the remainder of this month because you know this month is is really I just one of another thing that's on my mind Galatians 419 another thing that's been on my heart has been just kicking this year off 2018 uh, with the mind of God. And I really want God's mind. I know we have it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. We have the mind of Christ. It's not something that we have to acquire. But it's something that, like a radio, I want to tune into. And I want to think with God about His mind for this year. You know, many great moves of God have happened when people sought Him in early morning prayer. Now, someone may say, well, that sounds like works. That sounds like human effort. No, because when we look at Jesus Christ, and as Mike was singing that song and, and, and the Spirit was just ministering to us, when we, when we think about who Jesus Christ is, we are enraptured with who He is and we are led into communion with Christ and we want to pursue Him. And then we pursue Him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Legalism can be defined this way. Legalism is doing the will of God in the energy of my flesh. That's legalism. Whenever I'm doing something in the energy of my flesh, 
because of a deficit motivation of insufficiency or trying to catch up to something or some kind of program, then I'm functioning in legalism. Okay? And when we look at prayer, I think there's no other topic that, well, there's no other topic that I can think of in the Christian life that I could say I don't do enough of that, and that would be prayer. And even just that, that kind of approach is approaching it from a deficit motivation. We are grace believers. We understand the dispensation of grace. We understand the finished work message of the grace of Jesus Christ, of the grace of God that saves us. Yet when we think about prayer, we very often subtract grace from it, and we think prayer is some kind of work I have to do for God. And if we're not careful, our devotional life can turn into something that is not motivated by the grace and the love and the, and the, uh, the amazing power of God in our life. And so here Paul talks about, in Romans chapter 8, praying in the Holy Spirit. And I just want to approach this in a very practical way. Prayer is a language of intimacy, and that's what I said at the outset of this, of this message. Prayer is a language of intimacy. I think if you go to some churches and some denominations, you're going to probably read a prayer in a bulletin. You're going to maybe uh, recite a prayer. Like when I went to, when I was a kid, I went to Sunday school. And every day, every time we go to Sunday school, we would repeat, we would recite the Lord's Prayer at night. When I would go to bed at night, my parents would pray with me before we had an understanding of the finished work and the grace of God. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And, it, and it's a sacred prayer, but what would happen is, is that it would no longer be sacred to me. It would be something that I would recite. We have to beware that we do not recite things and do things out of familiarity because then we lose the amazing truth behind it. In Europe, when I lived in Europe, when I was a missionary in, in Poland and in Ukraine, sometimes I would visit the Catholic Church. I would just go there just to see what's going on. I wasn't Catholic. I was never Catholic. So when I would go there, I didn't have the necessi- I didn't have necessarily the the frame of reference that Catholics may have to go there. I know my my, my wife just can't stand going there because that's her, that's her background. But I would go and I'd listen to the service, and I'd listen in Polish to the priest, and you know the the songs, the liturgy that they read, the word. I mean, it's all amazing truth when you hear about it, but when you listen to it. But what is missing there is presence of the Spirit of grace. And so prayer is a language of intimacy. Matthew chapter 6, when we read the Lord's Prayer, and I'd like to retitle the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to take, give me the, I do this in a sacred way. I don't want to retitle things in the Bible, but I think it should actually be called the Disciples' Prayer. Right? Jesus said, this is how you ought to pray. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 describes prayer as not just something that we recite, but it's a model of understanding what spirituality is. It's a model of how we commune with God. It's a picture of how we pray. It's not necessarily the only words we pray, but it's a model of what a disciple's prayer looks like. And When we talk about discipleship, we are talking about what we mentioned on Wednesday night. And if, if you can, come out Wednesday night because this is just such a great time of interaction. It's a great time of fellowship. And we just always walk away so encouraged. So there's five things I just want to mention this morning. I want to summarize them right at the beginning. 
Five very important things that the Bible tells us about prayer. Five things that are very foundational. And we see this in these verses, chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, and verse 26. Number one, and I'm going to explain these, so, so please don't get lost. Prayer is primal. Prayer is primal. Number two, it's real. Prayer is real. Number three, it's positional. Prayer is positional. Number four, it's deeply experiential. Prayer is deeply experiential. And number five, it's communal. It's communal. It's something that we do together. So let's dig in here. Number one, prayer is primal. When we look at these verses here, verses 15, it talks about a word, Abba. Now, Abba, we know, is an Arabic word that is best translated as a word used for what children say to their father, daddy, correct? But I want to go a little deeper. I want to dig a little deeper. I want to go beyond the, the, the common definition that we hear. I want to dig a little deeper. Do you know something? That word in the Aramaic is not a word, actually. There's no etymology to that word. It is, a more, it is more of a sound that is intuitional that a child makes, and it's one of the very first words that a child makes. Now, let me ask you here. How many of you have kids here? Okay. How many were there when your child said to you, Daddy or Mommy the first time? Isn't that amazing? That's an incredible experience, isn't it? That you're looking at this child in your image, or maybe you adopted and that's in your life and you're looking at this child and it's, it's looking at you and it's saying the equivalent to Abba. It is an intuitional word. It is, it is a word that is not formed correctly. It's not a word that, is, that has been taught to him. It's something that he or she is just saying intuitionally. It's a primal word. It's coming from the very depths of this baby looking at you. And that must be an incredible, incredible experience. Compare that with, compare that with an eight-year-old who is also a child who is saying, Dad, I want you to do this and do this for me. Okay? And I think that that's somehow we as children of God approach God in prayer. We come to him as a child, but we are coming in with orders and with, with, a, with an agenda. But you know something... The minute the Holy Spirit comes in, there's a kind of language toward God that we didn't have before. When we, are, when we allow the Holy Spirit, in Romans chapter 6, when we yield to the Holy Spirit, we allow Him to lead and to reign, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, which is a volitional decision that we have to do multiple times a day. We just say, Lord, fill me. And sometimes we, we don't even have to ask. Sometimes we just yield to Him as a creation to the presence of God and to the word of God. And when we do that, there is a new kind of language toward God that we didn't have before. There's a new type of communication. It's an intimate communication with God. It's a hunger. It's instinctive. It's a thirst. And when you know what it is? It's just a desire for God himself. This is prayer. It is primal. It is instinctive. It is inside of us. How is that? How is that possible? John chapter fourteen. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and this Spirit. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Cries out, "Abba, Father." We have that already inside of us. 
Think of it with me for a second. Um, when we understand that prayer is like this, it's no longer a tool and it's no longer a consumer item that I use to get what I want in my life. Prayer is a intimate language with God. I think God wants to get us there. That God uses our life circumstances. He brings us to a place where we are crying out to Him in this intimacy with the Father. Secondly, prayer is real. It's a real cry. It, you know, the Bible doesn't say we have to say, now first you say Abba, Father. It says cry, Abba, Father. And this word cry is an incredible word. It just means it's a word of like deep emotion. It's like in Matthew 14, Peter's walking out onto the water, right? And he starts to sink. And as he's sinking, he's seeing Jesus. He, said, he doesn't say, oh, hi, Jesus, how, how are you? He's like sinking, and he is just in this state of panic. He is in a state of disappointment. He's in a state of discouragement because there was a miracle happening in his life, and now he's sinking. And he cries out to God, and he, he cries out to Jesus, and he says, save me. This is, the word, this is the idea of the word here in this verse. It's a crying out. Prayer is not all, only this well-formatted thing that's happening in our life that was happening in between a certain hour where we are just praying certain prayers. Sometimes it's a cry of help. Sometimes it's a crying out to God in a, in a panicked way, a very short prayer. Because when we read Romans chapter 8, often we see it's a picture of the victorious Christian life. You ever read Romans chapter 8 and say, you know, that's like an amazing life. I would like to live that way. But you know something? Paul is very realistic in this chapter. Three times he uses this word in the Greek, groaning. Groaning. Romans chapter 8, groaning three times. Robert Moffat, he's a, he had a translation of the Bible back in the day. He's a great, uh, he's a great translator. Um, amazing guy. He translates this word groaning as sighing and throbbing with pain. Wow. <laughs> you ever pray like that? Sighing and throbbing with pain. You ever pray that way? No, nobody? Has anybody ever prayed that way? I pray that way. I pray like that often. But I'm in, I'm in pain right now. I am groaning and I don't even know how to pray. And sometimes we sense like this. We sense that, you know, in the, when we are in our flesh and we are, we are just functioning under this sense of the law, we live in this groaning, sense of groaning like, Lord, I don't even know how to pray right now. I feel like I should be praying, but I don't even know how to pray. And that's fine. We confess that. So we just say, Lord, I don't even know how to pray. And that's really what we should do. Groaning here is just, it's, it, it kind of describes this continual experience of weakness in the Greek. It's this continual sense of like, Lord, I'm not functioning at a, from, a, from a perspective here of power, control, and strength. Sometimes I feel that way, but a lot of times in our Christian life as a parent or where we're working or uh, situations in life, I don't know about you, but, and I'm pretty sure you're, you're in the same boat, but a lot of times we feel like we're functioning from a, just a perspective of weakness, you know? And I think that sometimes the message that we hear in pulpits across America is power with God, powerful living, abundant living, super living and people go to and listen to a message like that and they walk out perplexed and they're groaning they're groaning they're saying i don't know how that life works 
And this is what this is what is amazing about prayer. Prayer is real. There are moments in our life where we are just functioning in weakness, and we say, "Lord, help me." We're crying out. You know, Romans eight sixteen and then verse twenty six doesn't say that the Holy Spirit takes away our weakness. I think we have to remember that the Holy Spirit's not removing our weakness. The Holy Spirit's not. I love this example in the Old Testament. Remember the, four, the, the, the three Hebrew boys in the fire, in the furnace? It's a Sunday school class that just is, I've heard many times. But you know how miraculous that story is? A fourth man shows up in the fire, and you know that fourth man is Jesus Christ in the likeness of the Son of Man? Okay, you know what that story tells us? It's one of the most amazing truths in Romans chapter 8. That Jesus is not, the Holy Spirit here is not delivering you and I from difficulty. He's delivering us in difficulty, meaning the situation doesn't need to change. I can just have communion with God in that circumstance. You following me? Does that make sense? That we are, that, that God, the circumstances, I would like them to change. I'm praying that they do change. But in this, in this, in this position of weakness that I sense, that I'm not strong in, I'm going to be delivered by the Holy Spirit and I'm going to be sustained, and I'm going to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and He's going to carry us through that weakness. He's going to carry us through that weakness. Isn't that beautiful? That is a level of intimacy and prayer that the Lord wants to lead you and I into, where we are no longer prayer, that our prayer life is no longer a, uh, a circumstantial-based prayer life. It is a communion with God in weakness. Number three, prayer is, is positional. This is what verse 15 is saying here. It's a position. We read in verse 15 a beautiful picture of the grace of God, of the gospel. It says that Jesus is, Jesus is saying here, start by praying our Father. Uh, prayer is this language of intimacy, and unless we understand our position in Christ, and this is very important, what, is what verse 15 is saying, Unless we understand our position in Jesus Christ as an adopted son, we are not going to be able to pray in such a way that's going to be able to lead us in those times of weakness. If we don't understand that we are adopted sons, if we don't have that, if we don't have the Holy Spirit reveal that to us, what that means to be an adopted son into a family, then what's going to happen is, is that when we sense those times of of, of weakness, we're going to succumb to a spirit of fear that leads into slavery, that leads into bondage. Okay, and that's not God's will. Fear is not God's will for you and I to live in. So this addictions and, and the sense of slavery and, and succumbing to the expectations of what people want you to be doing with your life is not the will of God. Because when we understand that we are adopted sons, our life becomes, a, we live a whole nother way. The gospel here is saying, and this is what adoption means. This is what adoption means. Think with me about it for a minute. The gospel is saying that if you and I have put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, then that means that, that you were everything that Jesus was. Think of that. That you were everything that Jesus was. Everything that Jesus was in the gospels, that's who you and I are today. Isn't that amazing? Like that we are in Christ today. That's a little, there's a part of us that probably wants to push back a little bit and say, no, I don't know if that's so true, but it's true. 
we, you and I, are in Christ today, and everything that Jesus was, we are today. Amen? We are in him in this present world. Amen? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that because we don't see heaven and we don't see God today, sometimes we, we divide what God's will in heaven is on what's happening on the earth. That everything that, we, that everything that Jesus was, we are today. Number two, it's as if you've done everything that Jesus has done. Everything that Jesus did is in you. Isn't that amazing? Are, are, you, are we fathoming this this morning? Lord, help us to understand this. Everything that Jesus did has been, everything that Jesus did has been done in us. That means that Jesus fulfilled the entire law. This is very important. We're talking about prayer in our our position in prayer. Everything that Jesus did to fulfill the law has been fulfilled in us. It's as if I fulfilled the whole law. Isn't that amazing? That Christ is in you. It's like you you start the day off like, okay, and many times we start our day off, and I know about you, but when I wake up, one of the first things I think about is my task list, my agenda, right? I don't know about you guys. You're thinking about what time you have to go to work, right? Got to get your kids ready, are the kids up? You know, are we ready? What are we, we going to do for breakfast? Are the kids' lunches ready? You know, we're, we're dealing with all this stuff. We approach our day from the perspective of insufficiency. I, don't, I have not done what needs to be done. And that's the human life of responsibility. But we can't approach our walk in our relationship with God because, like in that way, because what Jesus has done, the complete fulfillment of the law, it says in the book of Romans chapter 10, has been fulfilled in us. It's as if you and I filled the entire law. It's as if you and I never stole. It's as if you, you and I never killed anybody. It's as if you and I never ever in Matthew chapter 5 had any impure thought about anything. That is Christ in us. That's Christ in us. That's where prayer begins. Prayer does not begin like, okay, I'm separated from God. I have to make my way through this whatever to get to God through this ladder of of accomplishments and prayers and, and all of this stuff. That is such a legalistic look at prayer. Prayer begins when we understand that Jesus has done everything and that is done inside of me. That means if, and number three, it means that you and I are an heir. We are an heir in Christ. Is what this is verse, verses 15 and 16 are saying, that we are heirs. It's not that hoping someday God's going to bless me. You know, God, I'm just hoping you're going to bless me in this area. I, don't, I know I'm not worthy. And then we immediately start thinking about all the things that we did bad. And then we start thinking dichotomous thinking, which is just, in, you know, we start wrestling with ourselves. And then either we come out of one way or the other. One way we come out, it can be like, God, I did all of your will. I, I deserve to be blessed because I've all the sacrifices I've made for you. Or the other way we can come out and say is, like, I don't deserve anything. And I'm not going to ask anything from God. Both ways are error. We have to understand our position, that our position in Christ never changes. It's so important. I, I heard a story <clears throat> this week of an old Puritan named uh, Thomas Goodwin. And he tells the story of a father walking down the street with his little boy. And all of a sudden, they're walking down the sidewalk. The, the father bends over, picks up the boy, hugs him and says, I love you. And he's hugging the kid. And the kid's hugging the dad around his neck. And he's he says, son, I love you. And they're just hugging, and then he puts him down. Here's the question. Is the son more of a son when he's in the father's arms than when he is on the sidewalk? 
Is the son any different? Does, does the status of his sonship change when he's walking on the sidewalk? Or not, maybe not hand in hand with the dad? Does his status change as a son? Or if he's not a son, whether the father is picking him up and hugging him? The answer is what? It is not. No matter what you and I experience, no matter what we feel, no matter what sidewalk we're walking down, no matter what part of the day that we are in, our status with God does not change. We are a son. Amen? And so the emotions may not be there. The feelings may not be there. Our, our personal affirmation of ourselves may not be there. Uh, like what Pastor Bob said, there may be times of self-hate, but that does not change your status with God. Amen? This is so important because, and I like, I like to look at it like this. There's a moment of grace when, when I feel the least deserving, the least least qualified, and when I feel like that I, 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 this is the last moment I should be praying, that's the moment I should run to the throne of grace. In a time of need. Does it say run to the throne of grace when you've got your life together? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Does it say that we run to the throne of grace when, when, um, when things are looking good, when my wife's not angry at me? You know, when my bills are paid? When I got a good credit score? No. We run to the throne of grace in the time of need, at that moment when we don't feel that we deserve it, when we feel like we've blown it as a mother, when we feel like, okay, you know, I didn't show up for that activity at the church, and I know people were waiting for me. At that moment, we go right to the throne. We say, God, this is a time of need, and I'm coming to you in this moment of grace, and I'm asking you for big things. Why? Because I'm your son, and because I have your mind, and you want to do things in spring. You want to do things in my family. You want to do things in my business. You want to do things in my place of employment. You want to do things in people's lives. Amen? Prayer is positional. Let's just never forget that. We never, let's never forget that. Number four, prayer is experiential. Prayer is experiential. Verse 16, the spirit begins, the spirit brings a spirit of sonship. The spirit is the one, and this is so important. This is where we go from the theory of Romans 6 uh, we go beyond the, the failures of Romans 7 and we come into Romans chapter 8 <clears throat> where we begin to understand the experience of our sonship. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one that repeatedly convinces our heart of the gospel of grace. That we have received adoption in this family freely and there's no place for fear. And there's no place for slavery. There's no, there's no place for shame. There's no place for performance. Okay. Are we getting it this morning? I'm so excited about this because when we are filled with his spirit, and that's just, it's not a, maybe an emotional experience. By the way, spirituality is deeper than emotions. It's deeper than the intellect. It's deeper than anything that we could ever try to figure out. It just is. And when we are filled with that Holy Spirit, there is a repeated affirmation of who we are. Our heart is convinced of who we are. And you know something, when we come to church, when we get together, when we pray with a brother or sister, the Holy Spirit is witnessing with our spirit that we are what? Exiles? That we're in the doghouse spiritually? No, we are sons of God. Daughters of God means you and I. I don't know how your week was this week, but I think maybe sometimes we come into church and we think, you know, I don't know if I had a really great week and I'm going to kind of just pull back a little bit because I don't feel so great about myself. Can I say something to you? Your position doesn't change. And, the, and, and God wants you and I to experience his love through the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit. 
Here's a statement I want you to remember, if you can remember. I'm going to say it a couple times. I want us to remember this. The objective truth of adoption needs to be subjectively real. The objective truth of adoption needs to be subjectively real. And how does that happen? It's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I can't figure that out. I can't attain to that truth. Sometimes we read Romans chapter 6 and we're like, I could never attain to that. And then Paul was in the same position in Romans chapter 7. We know this. He starts, he starts wrestling the, with the theology that he knows about who he is in Christ. And his experience doesn't match that. And what does he say? He says, who shall, who shall save me? Who shall rescue me from this wretched state that I'm in? And then what does he say? You say, well, I figured it out, you know, that I'm going to do this. He goes, no, in that unresolved situation, there's no condemnation in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Amen? No condemnation. Is that awesome? Maybe there's unresolved things in our lives that are just unresolved. And we're like, God, I just don't know how to resolve this. I don't know what to do with this. And what happens is, is that we can just walk in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and say there's no condemnation. And this is when we begin to see the Holy Spirit witnesses with us. Have you experienced that in your life? It may be something very simple. It may be something very amazing. When the Holy Spirit is speaking to that spiritual part of you, we are, we are made of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Very simply, our body is, what, is that part of us that connects with the material, physical world. It is what is bound to this world. It is that part of us that is just aware of the world. Our soul is our personality. It's that immaterial part of us. It's made up of five parts. The will, the mind, the emotions, the conscience, and the, self, and the, and the um, self-consciousness. These five parts of us make our soul. That makes us who we are. But the soul is not aware of God by nature. The soul is not God-conscious by, by, by nature. It, it is what? Self-conscious, right? When we live in our soul and body only, we live a self-conscious life about what's happening in my life, that my prayers are not being answered. Then there's a third part of us, and that is our spirit. The spirit is like the, it's like the skylight in your home. Where when you look, when you're in a house, but when you look up, you can see the sky. That's your spirit. And that spirit is where you and I have communion with God. It's the channel that God is speaking to you and I on. I don't want to get too mystical here, but when you and I pray, God is not speaking to you through your body, and he's not speaking to you through your soul, but he's first speaking to your spirit. He's speaking through your spirit. And that's why that window, that's a skylight in your home, in in your spiritual temple, like Mike was talking about, that needs to stay clean. And how do we clean that? Just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, that spirit is just so, it's like, it is cleansed. It is washed and it is quickened. That is where God speaks to us. That is where God is speaking to us. The objective truth of adoption needs to be subjectively real. It needs to be real in my personal life. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And you know something? He brings us deeper and he brings deeper and he brings us deeper. And he's willing to put testimony after affirmation, after after testimony in little ways to remind us that you are not neglected, that you are not a child left on its own to fend for itself, but you are a child of God. My wife came home last night, um, Saturday night, she just goes out sometimes and just goes to, she, she goes to all these secondhand stores and just finds these incredible deals. If there's a deal in spring, my wife's going to find it. If there's, a, if, there's a, if there's something that's like three cents cheaper than something else somewhere else, my wife's got this 
sixth sense, not six, sixth sense of where the deals are. And she's there. And so um, she comes home last night and she has, she goes, guess what I found? And I go, what? Something great, I bet, right? Cheap. And uh, she works hard. She doesn't buy, she doesn't spend money on herself. And, and the story goes like, when we moved down here, uh, you know, you ever move long distance or, and you lose things? Or move, like just across the city and you lose stuff? You're like, where is that thing? I thought I, you know, what happened to that? And so something happened. We were packing our stuff. Wes was there, and I, I think Kim was there. But we had, I think we had about 25 people emptying my house, putting it into a container. And I'm trying to, like, monitor everything, where everything's going. There's two containers, and there's, like, a, a trail in the back of my car that we're going to drive down here. And so stuff is just getting thrown into these containers. We didn't have a lot of time, and we were done in four hours. And... And, and my wife's like, she has like this pile of things that she wants to go in the car because she doesn't want to get lost and she wants it when we move in. So we get down here, we move into the place where we're living now and she's missing her favorite dress. Her favorite dress, it was an Ann Taylor dress. Uh, it was turquoise and, um, and it was hanging up in the car. I don't know if you guys have ever been in this place where your wife's like, where is, where is that? And you have no idea where it was. And she goes, where is this? I think that Anthony's just went through this because he just moved down here. And so, so we get down here and we look through everything. The turquoise dress is missing. And it was, it was a particular size. It was hard to get. It was a particular style, a particular cut and color and particular brand. And just for weeks and months, she was just like praying like, God, where, you know. And kind of my wife and I, we've been kind of, you know, we're doing great. But have you ever been in a situation where there's this, prolonged period where there's some answers to the prayer that are not coming and you just wonder like am I okay with God or like you know you start maybe getting a little subjective maybe you start examining yourself the wrong way and and you know we're just you know when we started doing this morning prayers um when we just started praying uh and it's very simple I have just noticed some incredible answers to the prayer I mean things have been happening and blessings have been coming in the little answers the things that have not been happening started happening and I've noticed, and I say this kind of in a sarcastic way, somebody thought I was serious the other day when I said it, but I started noticing that there were more coincidences when, when we pray. And, and so she comes home, she goes, well, guess what I found in, this, in the second hand store? She pulls out a turquoise dress from Ann Taylor, the, her size, with her cut and everything. She goes, I cannot believe that I found this. This was such, you know, I don't know if you've been to these secondhand goodwill places, but there's not usually a great selection like you find something and you're lucky if it even fits you it was her perfect size it was in every way and I just say that because this was a little testimony to my wife that we are not that God is not for God has not for, forgotten us that we are not forsaken and that was the Holy Spirit in this very simple way in my wife's language and I think wives have the language of dresses and clothing <laughs> <laughs> And I, you know, and it really spoke to her. And I just thought of this, and I was preparing this message, and I thought, thank you, honey, I'm going to just use that right in the message right here. <laughs> prayer, is, prayer is experiential. And the Holy Spirit witnesses with us that we are not forgotten and that we are not. I bet we could ask everyone in this room, have there been times recently where God just did something very little in your life, but it meant so much to you that he has not forgotten you? Number five, prayer is communal. It's community. It's body life. Prayer is something that we experience together. Jesus gave us his model of prayer in Matthew 6. And he says, he does not say, when you pray, my father. He says, what does he say? 
Our Father, right? Our Father. Prayer is something that is to be something that we experience together. And the question I have for you this morning is this. Do you have someone that you pray with? Could be a family member. It could be another body member. Is there someone that is in our life that you can share things going on in your life? And that's why one thing, I, that's one reason why I want us to pray together. Because prayer is communal. It's a body experience. You know, we were, Saturday we were in this neighborhood down here, um, just meeting people in the neighborhood. And I'm just amazed at how many lonely people there are in this, just across the street in this neighborhood over there. Just people that are just isolated and there's no community. They have no community to be a part of. And, there's, and we ask them, is there anything we can pray for for you? And very often we get very interesting responses. People are not used to that question sometimes because their problems are very private and they don't want to share them. But you know something? When we understand the body of Christ and the spirit of adoption, that we have this, that we have this spirit that groans together we then can be as a body that groans together with each other. I would, my, it's my prayer here, and I, what I think is happening is that we can share with each other things that we're just groaning about, that we're just there deep in our heart, that we are groaning. And maybe we can't even sometimes exp- express it, but do you have someone that you can groan together in life with prayer? Because when we groan together in weakness, the Holy Spirit is carrying us through together. I think sometimes this is what happens in churches, okay? And we've planted churches before. We've seen how it goes. We've seen that just about, and it's not a method, but there's a lot of similarities. And one of the things that happens sometimes as a church that we go through, we go through things together. We experience something together. And it's so that we can pray together, our Father. And it's so that we can together be sustained by the Spirit of God through the time of weakness when we are the sense of like, ah, oh, this is so like, man, I would just rather have this sense of power. And do you know what I'm saying? Because the flesh is addicted to power. And when we together have this time when we can say, you know something, we are going through this together. The Holy Spirit's going to bring us through. And he's going to help us in our vulnerability. And that's when we grow in maturity in our relationships with each other. Because sometimes when churches go through trials, they... It's very easy to, to get judging, to start judging one another. That's immaturity. When I judge somebody else by what I see, Jesus did not judge by what he saw or what he heard. Nine times out of ten or ten times out of ten, what you hear about somebody else is probably not right. And it's been some ways spun. We need to be very careful about what we listen to about other people. And we need to have these antennas. We need to learn how to train ourselves that if we sense the spirit of judging coming in, that we would immediately shut it down. I think um, our founding pastor said that when we listen to a, a, a report about someone else that's not present, we are breaking 34 doctrines of the Bible. It's like amazing, isn't it? And it's like in, in Proverbs chapter 6, what are, the, what are the things that God hates in Proverbs chapter 6? It's not the big 10 sins that you hear about all the time. One of them is gossip and judging. So we never want to do that. And even if somebody's not doing well, that, that maybe that we all know about, and I'm not thinking of anybody right now because I don't know of anybody, but if, we all, if, there, if time comes where someone comes into the fellowship and they're not doing well, instead of us saying, hey, let's pray for this person, did you hear? <laughs> That's not prayer. 
And that's, that's gossip. And God hates that. And it won't be a blessing if we do that. Just say, always believe the best about people. Always believe the best. Believe, not the best, believe what God says about people. Don't believe the best because that's going to be less than, the, than who they are in Christ. And you know something? Because the day will come when you or I are in that place and it's not going so great. And what I sow is going to, I'm going to reap. And if I'm sowing judging, that's what I'm going to get back from people. People are going to judge me. So I just want to say, let's be people that pray for people. And I'm going to close with this, is that when we, and I have this rule in my life, when somebody comes to my mind for more than 30 seconds to 45 minutes, 45 seconds, I always take it as a sign from God that I'm supposed to pray for them. Just pray for them. Say, Lord, whatever's happening in their life right now, I don't know why they're coming to my mind, but I'm just praying for them. I'm going to pray for them right now. Just be faithful. And there have been times when that's happened, and I've sent a text message and say, you know what, I'm just praying for you right now. God, have a blessed day. And I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and they've said, this happened to me in Philadelphia, that I sent a text message to, and I didn't have this girl's phone number, but I sent a text to her mom. And I said... I said, to, I said, how's your daughter doing? She's, she's on my mind today. I'm just praying for her right now. And then um, she calls her daughter and says, you know, I just got a text from the pastor. He's praying for you right now. And the daughter got so freaked out because she, the, so the daughter comes to church that Sunday and she says, did my mom talk to you? I go, no. <laughs> and he goes, because when you, when, when she called me about that text message, I, I you know, I thought she had said something to you about what was happening. I said, no, it's just God loves you, and he's putting you on people's hearts to pray for you because he wants, he, wants, he wants you. And I said, when we pray for people, guess what happens? We, we, are, we are delivered from a spirit of judging. I, wanna, I just want to leave you with three things. Number one, verse 15, I'm going to summarize here. Instead of slavery or fear or depression, or reaction, or anger, instead of all that, instead of addictions, we choose to cry out from our position as a son. Whenever you feel that pressure of whatever, that slavery that wants to come in, that fear, cry out as a son to God. The second thing is verse 16, the spirit will pull, his spirit will pull us together as a body into deeper and deeper understanding of who we are in Christ as a family. And that's what we really need more than anything else in our uncomfortable situations. What I need, my true need, my true need is not for God to change my circumstance. My true need is to be comforted by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption in that, in that time. In verse 26, we often don't know how to pray or what to pray for or even how to obey in that matter. At that time, lean on the Holy Spirit and rest. Just lean on God and say, God, I don't know what to do right now. I don't even know how to obey you in this circumstance. I'm going to lean on you, and I'm going to listen to you pray for me. You ever do that? Say, Holy Spirit, I want to hear you praying for me right now. You ever do that before? I've done that a couple times. Like, God, I don't even know how to pray for myself. I'm just going to listen to you right now. Pray for me. And what would the prayers of the Holy Spirit sound like? Well, we read them, Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church. And so when we do that, I think that we begin to understand the Holy Spirit, his filling, and that there's no separation, that we are not separated from Christ, but we are we are in Christ. Amen? Let's close in prayer.